Would you turn your Bible to two passages of Scripture today, please? John, the sixth chapter, beginning with verse 22, and Colossians, chapter 2, beginning with verse 24. John, chapter 6, beginning with verse 22, and Colossians, chapter 2, chapter I'm sorry, Colossians chapter 1, beginning with verse 24. Now may we pray together. Our Father, our hearts have been greatly touched and moved through the songs, these testimonies, reminding us that the rock of ages loves the least of us, and the greatest, he loves the whole world. But the only way that love can be made manifest is through the old rugged cross that made the difference in our lives. And when Christ comes in, he leads us to see the honor of service and work in his name. Pray that someone here today who has never been saved will come to Christ. This will be a day of renewal and starting over. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm reading first from John chapter 6, then connecting that with Colossians chapter 1. Beginning in John 6, 22, the day following when the people who stood on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there except that one into which his disciples were entered, and that Jesus went not with his disciples into the boat, but that his disciples were gone away alone. Nevertheless, there came other boats from Tiberias near into the place where they did eat bread after the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, neither his disciples, they also took boats and came to Capernaum seeking for Jesus. When they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, when camest thou here? Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, ye seek me not because ye see the miracles, but because ye did eat of the loaves and were filled. Labor not for the food which perisheth, but for that food which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. Now in Colossians chapter 1, beginning with verse 24, Who now rejoice in my sufferings for you, and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church, of which I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, even the mystery which hath been hidden from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. For this I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. 
This is Labor Day weekend. On this Labor Day weekend, 1989, we cannot help but think of the war on drugs and the terrible confusion in Colombia and all the nations that have tried to get drugs into America. While at the same time we've declared war on drugs, we permit its companion rock music to roll on with no hesitation at all. We think of the terrible toll of alcohol and liquor. The Attorney General's task force recently recommended tighter laws on drunken driving. And yet we have liquor joints wide open, right on the highways, gasoline stations that sell beer and liquor. We think of that article that appeared in the paper the other day over in California. Mrs. Evelyn Smith had a private apartment. She rented it to a couple she thought were married, only to discover they were not married. And she asked them to move and they sued her. And the law of California upheld the suit. And this woman who owns the apartment, who did not want on spiritual and religious basis that unmarried couple to live in her apartment, live in sin and fornication, the law upheld the couple. And this woman is having to pay that couple for emotional disturbance because she disturbed them about their sin. We think of a 10-year-old boy named Cameron who shot and killed Jessica, a first grade boy, student. He's being tried as an adult for murder. And in Miami, over 2,000 suspects were picked up the other day and arrested on a cocaine crackdown. And then we remember that the first day of September was the 50th anniversary of the beginning of World War II when Hitler's armies, the Nazi Germany armies, marched across Poland and ushered in the most bloody war the world has ever known. Over 50 million people killed in that war. Over 100 million wounded. Homes changed forever. A war that ended with the devastation of Hiroshima and Nagasaki with the atomic bomb. That's this Labor Day weekend, 1989. Labor Day was started in 1869, five years after the Civil War, as a labor national holiday. Christians have, through the years, fought for more just and humane labor conditions, exalting and honoring all honest labor and and toil, whether a person is a ditch digger or whether he operates from the White House. Jesus believed in the dignity of labor and was concerned about the workers. He said in Luke chapter 10, verse 7, the laborer is worthy of his hire. Today, millions of people belong to trade unions and labor unions. Few realize that the trade unions were originally an outgrowth of the great spiritual revival that occurred in England when John and Charles Wesley were preaching. The labor laws were so lax in the early 1700s 
people would work 16 hours a day, six days a week. Children as young as 10 worked long hours in mines and, and in uh, factories. Many died from accidents or simply from mere exhaustion. The working class were nothing more than just slaves until John and Charles Wesley preached the glorious gospel and men begin to get, began to get saved and they began to recognize the dignity of man and godly people who had received the word of God into their hearts began to legislate and push for legislation that changed labor laws. And so as we observe Labor Day tomorrow, let's not forget that Christ was the chief among all the world who changed the whole situation of the laborer and gave him dignity. Before Jesus came, women were a piece of property. We do not need ERA, we need more of Jesus. More of God's people understanding the dignity and the pedestal upon which a woman stands because Jesus placed her there. And we need to recognize that anyone who labors with his hands, anybody that labors with his mind, anybody that ministers in labor, in work, if it's an honest work, if it's not an immoral work, if it's not an indecent work, it has the blessings of heaven. We need to recognize that. Now Jesus was teaching a tremendous lesson in John chapter 6. We cannot bypass that. And some of you, I'm sure, wondered what the connection between John chapter 6 and Colossians chapter 1 would be. I want to just briefly give you these, these thoughts. In John chapter 6, Jesus speaks of labor. He had just fed the 5,000. And he said, you have enamored me in your mind and thoughts because I fed you some food. You did not notice that the miracle came from God. You see, Jesus, after he had done that, he went in a ship across and went over to the other side, and the people couldn't find him, and they went clear around the lake. They didn't all have boats, and they came all around the lake, and they found Jesus, and they said, how did you get here? And we want you. And Jesus said to them, labor not for the food which perisheth. The reason you've come over here looking for me is because of the miracle, but because of the food I gave you, the 5,000 that got fed. Your, your stomachs were hungry. And you have come, you've labored, and you've traveled all this time around the lake to come over here and just be with me. I guess you expect some more food. Jesus said, labor not for that which perisheth, but labor for that which does not perish. The food that does not perish, which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? What do you mean, Jesus? How do we do that? How do we go about this kind of labor? And Jesus said, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. You say, Well, believing isn't work. Oh, my friend, that's because you don't believe. Have you ever tried to pray? Praying is work. When Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, 
He sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. Angels came and ministered to him because all of his strength was sapped. One reason we pray better when we're in trouble, when we're in anguish, is because we pray with all of our hearts and all of our, the whole energy of our soul is consumed in this prayer and that's hard work. Somebody said, what does a preacher do? He just stands and preaches on Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night and the rest of the time. He can just twiddle his thumbs and loaf. Well, to begin with, the rest of the time we don't twiddle our thumbs and loaf. But secondly, standing in a pulpit three times a week is labor. Now, you can get up and read something. If it doesn't get very involved, you can just say a few things and that'll be it. But if your whole soul and mind enter into that and you recognize that before you are people who are hungry, people who are sad, people who are despondent, people who are discouraged, people who are sinners, people who are guilty, some who are on their way to hell, and this might be the one day, the one hour that could change the whole course of their lives. Folks, that's work. And when you come to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, now listen, that involves work because it involves all there is of you. You see, Jesus does not just ask you to make mental assent to certain doctrine. You read a doctrine and say, well, yes, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, that's all one trinity, I believe that. Yes, the Bible, I believe that. Yes, Jesus died on the cross. Yes, I believe that. Yes, Jesus was raised from the grave. I believe that. Jesus is coming again. I believe that. Jesus uh, wants uh, to live in our lives. I believe that. And that's what it means to become a Christian. Far from it. Folks, for you to become a Christian, for you to be saved, means to die to self. It means to come to a point in life where you repent of sin and turn away from it. A willingness in your heart to turn away from it and to turn to Christ and receive Him into your life. And that is what Jesus called the work of belief. And it issues in work. Now, now don't get me wrong. We're not saved by works. We're not saved by joining a church or by being baptized or by turning over a new leaf or quitting our are cussing and swearing and snorting and drinking and, and uh, running around and then starting sort of some kind of a new life. That's not what saves us. We're saved by coming to the end of our rope and saying, Lord, I'm a sinner and I need what only you can give and I ask you to cleanse me. I believe that Jesus died for me personally. Had there ever never been anybody else in all the world who needed to be saved, I need it. And that makes it personal. We talk about receiving Jesus as our personal Savior. That means he comes into our hearts personally and changes us from the inside and then gradually the outside gets changed. And when we come to him and we're not willing to let him change us and we're not willing to work for the night is coming when men can work no more. We're not willing to serve him then we have a contradiction of terms because the Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He must be your Lord. There must be a willingness. Now, I don't mean we come and say, now, Lord, I'm going to serve you for 35 years. Save me at the end of that. No, no, no. We come as a pauper and we say, Lord, I need what only you can give. 
And I believe with all my heart that Christ Jesus died on the cross for me. And I ask him to come into my heart and forgive me and save me. And Lord, I have no reservations. I will serve you. Forsaking all, I trust Jesus. Now I want you to listen to this, please. You may jump off the bandwagon here. But if you come to Christ only to get a fire insurance policy against hell so you'll be sure to go to heaven, and that's all, then you probably are not saved. Because you see, when, when we come to Christ, we have to surrender to Him and invite Him to come into our lives and operate through us. It is not Christ out there that is the hope of glory. It is Christ in here that is the hope of glory. And the whole thing is a mystery. That's the reason in just a few verses, Jesus begins to interpret that miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. And He says, Now, whosoever does not take my flesh and my blood into his life, he cannot be my disciple. And they didn't understand that. Why they said, uh, do you think we're going to become cannibals and eat a piece of your flesh and drink some of your blood? The Lord didn't mean that. He said, the real meaning of this feeding of the 5,000, and you didn't understand it, all you wanted was the food and, and you got your stomachs full, but, but really the thing that you must understand in order to receive me is that you receive my life in you. You receive my service in you so that I can operate through you. So that Christ inside of you becomes the hope of glory. I come to live inside of you. And symbolically, he gave us the Lord's Supper. The bread and the cup. And we receive that into our very bodies just symbolically that we have received Christ himself into our lives. Now Paul later picks that up in Colossians chapter 1. And here's what he says. The same thing he says, beginning in verse 25. Of which I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Even the mystery which hath been hidden from ages and from generations but now is made manifest to his saints. Now, a mystery is a spiritual truth that was once completely hidden and is now partially unveiled, which will eventually be totally revealed. That's what a mystery is in the Scripture. And Paul said that what I'm telling you is a great mystery. You, you did not understand it. He said the same thing in Ephesians chapter 5 when he was likening the relationship between Christ and his church to that of a husband and a wife. He said that Christ is the husband, the church is the bride. And then he said, this is a great mystery. I speak concerning Christ and the church. There are a number of mysteries spoken of in the scripture. There's the mystery of the kingdom of heaven. There's the mystery of, of Israel's blindness. The mystery of the translation of the living saints. The mystery of Christ as the bride of the church. The mystery of the indwelling Christ. The mystery of Christ as the incarnate fullness of God. 
Now you say, preacher, I don't really understand. You've left me. I don't understand what you're saying. Don't worry about it. That's what a mystery is. A mystery is a wonderful spiritual truth which has been totally, totally concealed. Nobody ever dreamed of it. But now it is partially unveiled. One day it will be totally revealed. The new birth itself is a mystery. How can God come and live inside of you? By faith. And in the sixth chapter of John, Jesus was dealing with deeply spiritual things and they did not understand. And he said, don't labor for the food that you eat. Labor for that which will never leave you. That is, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ with all of its mystery, with all that it means. Receive him into your heart and he'll do something for you. There's not one person in this auditorium this morning who can get, stand up and give a testimony and say, I understand all about the mystery of the new birth. I don't understand. The other night we got blessed, I think last Sunday night, when these uh, people gave testimonies and we heard from some of the students and we heard from Chris and James, uh, new people in Christ, and they told how Jesus had changed their lives. Well, it's a mystery. And Jesus was saying, don't labor for that which just fills your stomachs, but labor for that which fills your heart, the spiritual meat of the Word of God. And so, he spoke of a mystery. Now, what is that mystery? In verse 27, Colossians 1, 27, he said, To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. In the Old Testament, the people thought of God is for us. We're on God's side, God's on our side. In the New Testament, when Jesus came, his name was Emmanuel, which being interpreted as God with us. And they said, God is with us. Not only is he for us, but he is with us. Paul came along and he said, hey, here's something that nobody ever dreamed of. Nobody ever dreamed of. I want to give you the mystery. Christ is in you. Christ is in you. We sing the song, Christ liveth in me. Christ liveth in me. But that's a mystery. And folks, if you have not received Christ as your Savior, He does not live in you. If you have received Christ in your, in your heart and He lives inside of you, then He will cause you to labor for the things of heaven. You don't labor for the things of heaven so you can have Christ inside of you. The only way you can labor for the things of heaven is to have Christ inside of you, and then He does it inside of you. He loves people through you. He touches people through you. He gives you the ability to forgive other people who have hurt you. He does that because he could do it. He's the one that we magnify today. He's the one we exalt. Jesus of Nazareth, who touched lame limbs and caused them to walk again, who touched blind eyes and caused them to see again, who interrupted funeral processions and raised dead people to life again. Jesus. And folks, Jesus inside of you is the hope of glory. If you do not have Jesus inside of you, you have no hope for glory. You have no hope for heaven. I'm so glad Sammy and Dale are here today. I was so blessed by knowing their mother. And in those last few days that I got to know her well, we talked about her faith in Jesus. We had a prayer meeting, had a little worship service, 
right there at her bedside. We sang, what a friend we have in Jesus, and she sang every word. We sang, Jesus loves me, this I know, and some other songs. And she began to tell me about receiving Christ as her Savior years ago. Went to the little Methodist church out there at Hadley. Got baptized. She said, I haven't always served Jesus closely, but he's in my heart and I'm not afraid of death. In just a few days, she went down into the valley. Christ inside of you. Folks, don't labor for that which perisheth. All the things, the labor of our hands, cannot fulfill the law's demands. If we teach a Sunday school class for 50 years, if we preach for 60 years, if we cast out demons, if we hold prayer meetings, if we do good deeds and have not Christ in us, one day we will hear those terrible words, depart from me, I never knew. You see, it is Christ inside of us. And that's what Jesus was teaching in John chapter 6. Don't labor for the things that are going to perish. Labor for that which will never pass away. Let Christ come inside of you and then let him serve and labor through you. But look at verse 28, Colossians 1, 28. Whom we preached, preach warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. There's the warning of the mystery. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Every junior boy and junior girl will have to appear before the judgment seat of Christ if you're saved. If you're not saved, you'll have to appear out at the great white throne judgment one day. The question will be, what did you do with Jesus? Now wake up. Wake that little boy up over there. He needs to hear this. Yeah, don't go to sleep. Listen. That's right. Now, everyone's going to, everyone is going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Everyone. And there's a warning about this. If you're saved, you're going to have to appear and give an account. What did you do with what I gave you? What did you do with the opportunities? What did you do with this Christ in you? Did you let him operate through you? Or did you just say, oh, well, the preacher's just a fanatic. He preaches crazy all the time, tells us to do all these things and go to church and study the Bible and give our tithes and, and uh, go soul winning. And he just, he just stuck on that. He just talks about it all the time. Is that what you're going to tell the Lord? See... I'm trying to give you what God says. And you'll have to be an account. You'll give an account for that one day. There's a warning about it. If you're not saved, the warning is you're going to appear before the great white throne judgment and never have another opportunity and your sins will all be there to accuse you. And the important thing is right here and now, receive Him as your Savior. And then there's another warning. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. I look forward to that. Throw away your glasses. Throw away your false teeth. Throw away your crutches and your wheelchairs. Throw away all the old Bengay and all the old medicine you had. Just get rid of it all because you're going to have a new body, a new person in Christ. I'll have a new body, praise the Lord. I'll have a new life. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. That is, every Christian isn't going to die. 
Because there's going to be a generation that will be alive when Jesus comes again. It may be our generation. Won't it be glorious some golden daybreak to look and see Jesus coming and he says, come right on. And we just slip on through the ceiling and we slip out into the space and we're with Christ forever. We'll not all sleep, we'll all be changed. Just like that, we'll be changed. The dead in Christ will rise first and they'll be changed. And our bodies will be fashioned like unto his glorious body. This is a mystery. He says, this is a mystery. And Jesus says, don't labor for that which perisheth, but invest your life in that which will be for eternity. Let Christ come into your heart and change you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Let's bow together in prayer. Every head bowed, every eye closed for just a moment. What I've said to you has to be received as the Holy Spirit gives it to us. This very fact is very simple and clear. Jesus died on the cross for our sins according to Scripture. He was buried. Three days later, he was raised from the grave. He's alive today, and he wants to live in your heart. But he's a gentleman. He never forces himself on anybody. He just knocks at your door. If you'll invite him, if you'll open the door and say, Come in, Lord Jesus, he'll come in. Would you do that today? Our Father and our God, we thank thee for this truth from the word. And as we observe this Labor Day, we pray that we'll not labor for the things which perish, but the things which are for eternity. And may we first of all receive Christ as Savior, and then let him operate through us in loving other people, serving other people, blessing other people, until that day our eyes behold your city. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, please. What's the number of our name? 312. Come every soul by sin oppressed. 312. Would you turn there, please? 312. And when you found, found that page, look at me just a moment. This is God's invitation. It is not my invitation. It's the Lord's invitation. Now, friend, it is the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, that cleanses us from all sin. It isn't even walking down an aisle that cleanses. It certainly isn't the water of baptism. It's the blood. Have you been to Jesus for the blood to be applied to your sins? You say, how do you do that? It's all by faith. You hear the story of Jesus dying on a cross. And you know that he was God in human flesh. He died on the cross shedding his blood for our sins. And the Bible says, Whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And you say, by faith, I believe in him. I've come to the end of my rope. I'm a sinner and I need Christ. And I ask him to save me. The moment you do that, he comes into your heart. He becomes the hope of glory. And he says, I'll never leave you, but I want to use you. And he begins to operate his life through us to touch other people, to forgive others through us, to love others through us, to serve others through us, to tell others about the glory, to tell others about the blood. Are you letting Jesus use you today? First receive him and then serve him. As we sing, 
Is there somebody who will step out this morning and just say, I want to serve Jesus. I want Christ to be in my heart. The best way I know how, I receive him as my Savior and my Lord right now. Will you do that? Let's sing.